Father, we thank you that we can be here because you are in this place and you want to speak to us this morning. I pray that uh, you will reveal your heart to us and that you will be a living reality to each one of us. Father God, we, we pray for this week building up toward the, the prayer and fast. The, um, and we pray that you will prepare our hearts, that you will speak to us concerning the things that you want to reveal to us. Thank you that we know that the fast and prayer is not, Father God, to twist your arm. It's, um, it's for us and uh, for our sake, Father God, to remind ourselves that we are desperate without you, Father God. We, we need you in our lives. Father, we pray that this week will be a week of consecration, a time where you will really speak into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now I know that you're awake. Uh, it's good to have you here this morning. Um, I want to um, just remind you of the prayer and fast. I know Margot um, did so, but I, I just want to say, listen, uh, no condemnation if you can't um, you know, fast all the way, but I want to encourage you to do it with us. Um, you won't die. You will make it. Um, I've done a lot of fasts, and I promise you I love food. Uh, it is a problem, and I'm working at it, but I can tell you when it comes to fast, I always, um, you know, survive. I don't die. I think so on the, on the second day, um, but uh, you always survive. So I want to encourage you guys, drink some water. You'll, um, you'll be fine. I, I had a girl that once um, told me on the second day, listen, um, how do you guys make it without water? And I realized that uh, nobody told her that she can drink water. Um, <laughs> So I just want to say to you, please drink water, okay? We don't want you to dehydrate, um, but uh, let's, uh, you know, abstain from, from food. Uh, just let's shut our mouths so that um, God can really uh, just have us for a few days, you know? Just prioritize Him. Um, I know all of the excuses. I've heard them all, I promise you. People always come to me with all of the things about low blood sugar and... Uh, you know, high blood sugar and no blood sugar and, you know, all of those things. Um, and uh, I, I can tell you, you will survive. Please um, try to, to, um, to, to, to stick it through. And um, I know it's difficult at work as well, but uh, you will survive. And, and it's rewarding. It's rewarding to spend time in the presence of God and allow Him to, uh, to wash you. Um, to, uh, to get all of your attention. When those um, hunger pains come, you remind yourself to get focused again. Uh, so, uh, so let's do it. Uh, next week is going to be an amazing time. So I want to actually speak about the topic this year of the global prayer and fast that all the churches will be focusing on um, because next weekend I, I won't um, be able to, to preach, but, um, but I want to um, encourage you to, uh, to take this message at heart and to take it into um, the time of consecration. Um, we're going to next Sunday pray together, trust God for uh, amazing things among us, that God will shift our hearts before we go into the prayer and fast on Monday uh, to get all of us focused. Okay, so Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Um, a very well-known script, well scripture. And I want to just um, mention this before I read this um, Scripture, we know it too well. The problem is that we uh, often read this scripture 
and we forget the significance of it. And I want to remind you again that this was some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. This was the time, you know, after his resurrection that he basically saw them for the last time uh, before he could, you know, and, and he was commissioning them and he was saying to them, listen, there's a few things on my heart that I want to leave with you so that you can go and do them. Um, and um, it was uh, his wishes, it was his legacy that he was putting on the table and he was saying to uh, his disciples, listen, um, I've got an expectation that you will uh, prioritize this in your life. Um, and uh, so many people even call it the marching orders of the church. Um, and uh, yeah, let's read it. Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, make a note in your Bible if you have one here, um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I just want to, before I read on, just say that this all authority that was given to Christ was Jesus also disclosing what he wants us to do with that authority. Okay, he's also saying, okay, so I've been given the all authority and I'm giving it, I'm delegating that to you. What do I want you to do with it? Now, listen to this. Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Um, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded them, um, you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, John 15 verse 16 you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Okay, are you with me this morning? Don't let uh, these well-known scriptures this morning um, make you to stumble. Um, it's too well-known and sometimes we forget the power and the significance of it because here it says that Jesus actually appointed you. Jesus had a plan uh, for your life. He had a, a consecration moment where he um, thought of you being the vessel of honor that he wants to present to the world. And so he says here, um, go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. What does that mean? Being alive and keep on being there, Joseph. Sorry? Prospering. Abiding also meaning that we are in Christ. That we abide within those fruits. Now I want to say to you this morning, even all of the gifts that you've received, and it's uh, amazing to see that you are discovering those gifts, but without allowing God to use those gifts, it will be... Okay, Ooh, worthless. <laughs> because <laughs> if God cannot use those gifts that are in your life, it is impossible for Him to actually exercise the blessing that that will bring into other people's lives. So if we say, you know, that it produces fruit, it means that we abide in Him and we allow Him to amplify those gifts in our lives. So let's just be clear about the fact that 
You know, God is saying to us, go therefore and make disciples, but He wants us to consecrate the gifts in our lives. He wants us to consecrate it to a place where you and I can actually allow Him to operate through us. Matthew 28 verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So we just read chapter, uh, verse 18. Now, we're we, we jumping two verses um, ahead of, of verse um, 18, and it says here, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now again, um, there's a very clear instruction of direction. Um, John 15 speaks of appointing. Uh, there's a, a guidance that Christ gives his disciples, but, but here, very specifically, I think Matthew mentioned 11 because of the fact that the 12th one was the issue. He could have said, and the disciples went. Is it not so? But he mentioned deliberately the 11 disciples because he realized that the 12th one was not with them anymore. And I want to say to you this morning, um, in making disciples, it means that we have an obligation that, um, to make disciples and to, to, to duplicate the heartbeat of God in so many people as we can in this lifetime. Now, um, you know, I, this morning as we prayed, I have seen um, just this picture of a puppy. And, uh, you know, just reminded that with a puppy comes responsibility. You know, if you leave a puppy to, uh, to just go on um, on his own, um, that puppy will become a wild bear. Okay, I've had a, <laughs> I've had a, um, um, what is the, this, um, Mali um, dogs, what do we call them? Labradors. I had this Labrador once. Um, and it's a cute and very amazing um, idea, you know, to have a Labrador. Uh, and we got it for our children and at that stage I think it was actually Zoe's first birthday and everyone said to us this is a family dog just get a Labrador you know he's going to change your lives and he's going to be the best friend of the family and guess what that Labrador became the most terrible thing that we ever had in our household okay um, because this Labrador was just you know biting everything that it could get hold of it even took the um, the creepy crawly out of the swimming pool and it ate the whole creepy crawly. Uh, I had no uh, irrigation system left in my garden. Uh, this thing was just, you know, crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, I was trying to discipline this dog and at the end we had to, um, to, to pass the dog on to somebody that, um, that's got more love for dogs than us, um, clearly. Um, but uh, at the time, we discovered that this dog was ex actually deaf, and he couldn't hear us. That's why he was finding it so difficult to get instruction. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is what I can tell you, a dog not being looked after, you know, becomes a terrible thing. Um, but they, they, there's a responsibility that comes with raising such an animal. And I want to tell you that, when it comes to discipleship, I'm not saying that you're dogs this morning, but one thing that I do know is um, that Christ wants us to, uh, to have the teachability to receive from Him, to, to allow Him to transform our lives in such a way that we can be disciples first. Before we make disciples, we must become disciples first. 
And this is the place where the disciples was at at the time, uh, a place where they were di directed by Jesus. Um, but um, also they knew that they had to duplicate whatever he gave them. Now, I told this story at the, um, the small group training the other day, and you know, I want to just mention it again this morning. You know, one of the most beautiful um, stories for me about Reinhard Bonker's life was um, he uh, told now at, you know, just before he died, um, one of the m most significant moments in his life was actually a young man that he um, met when he started off there in, actually, I think, um, in the northern part of, of South Africa. Um, he had a crusade. But at that stage, he was, uh, you know, just starting with his ministry, and it was still the difficult days where he had only one vehicle, and in this vehicle, you know, all the sound equipment and, uh, you know, the stuff that they had to hand out to the guys. And so he said that uh, there was uh, these, you know, um, or the, the elephant grass that grew in those areas. And uh, elephant grass, grass is um, called elephant grass for a reason okay it's quite high so uh, it um, he said after this crusade he was packing up himself all the stuff putting it in the car getting himself ready um, and um, as he got you know everything in the car he was driving through the elephant grass couldn't see in front of him and then the next moment this young black guy got out of the grass and said mr. bonker mr. bonker please pray for me he said um, um, he immediately got out of the car and he, and he thought, you know, what's going on with this um, guy? And he, and he just laid hands on him and he said to them, listen, I pray for you. I trust God to do great miracles in your life. And um, he didn't see him um, then uh, after that. Um, again, he went to, to Germany and a few months later, he got uh, this story of a young guy that um, was busy just changing and transforming the northern part of um, South Africa, you know, just preaching in every village and people are just getting saved by the hundreds. And when he got to know the name, he said, but strange, you know, this is the same name that I prayed for this guy. And when he got back to South Africa later on, he spoke to, uh, to this young man and uh, he discovered that it is actually this young man busy getting everyone saved wherever he went. And then he heard the story. After this salvation, because he said to the young man, you know what, I didn't know that uh, you knew so much about the gospel that you could preach in every village and every um, town. And he said, yes, Mr. Bonker, but after you prayed for me, I went to the first village and there I got hold of the chief. And the chief said to me, his daughter was sick. Can I please pray for her? Thank you, Ian. 
And uh, so he said, Mr. Bonkis, so I, I went to, to this village. I prayed for the chief's um, daughter. She got healed and then um, got, you know, just introduced to any and every other village in the area. And he just went on and he said, okay, so I, I didn't know that you know that much about um, Christ, you know, and um, where did you get all the information to share with the people? And he said, Mr. Bonke, for a whole week, you've been um, sharing sermons with us. And I took every sermon and I preached them over and over and over until every um, village um, in the area got saved. Such a beautiful story to me because I, I realized that we sometimes want to be so perfect in discipling people, getting excited about the gospel and what it represents. Um, we, 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 we sometimes think that we must be so perfect in order to duplicate anything that we forget that the power of Christ within us is enough and that his message, his good news is enough. And this is the place where, where we get back to the main business of the church. And I want to say to you, Bible studies is amazing. Okay? Worship is amazing. But the main business of the church, when Jesus spoke to his disciples, was, listen, can we get focus to what is the last commission, the, the, the most important thing, the main business that the church must be all about? All of those things are amazing. But the only thing that you can take into eternity is not your Bible study group or the knowledge that you gained here on earth in spending a lot of time in theological discussions. The essence of it is the power of the gospel being shared through your life into other people's lives and walking a road with them in discipleship to see them being transformed. And my question to you this morning is, you know, do you understand the power of discipleship and what God wants to do through your life? Because in this message, there's um, four things that I want to just highlight. How did they do it? What was the commands that Jesus um, gave them? And the first one was the one of hearing. Um, not to just hear the word of God and to, to have those theological um, conversations and to have a lot of um, understanding about the cultural context of it and large and amazing con conversations about how does um, the word you know, apply in society. and But how does it impact you? Do you see Christ within Scripture in every step of the way? And my question to you this morning and my challenge to you is that place of, of do you read the Word of God in such a way that you really hear Christ speaking through it? Because every part of Scripture is God-inspired and Jesus is walking in it. And so, you know, we sometimes get so bored in reading the Word of God, but we forget about the power of Christ within it. And the first thing that, that, that Christ is, is bringing toward them is saying, listen, yeah, allow that hearing to become a place of trust. Because if you don't trust the one that has given the Word and inspires you with the gospel, the truth, it's impossible to duplicate anything. And that place of hearing brings us to a place where we can actually um, get to a place where evidence of Christ being in us and revealed to us become worship. 
Now, um, you know, I've seen this over and over. It's not about how many lights you have here in front and how many instruments you have and how many amazing, um, talented, gifted worship leaders you have in a band. It's about those who encountered Christ the most. You know, it's beautiful. I remember um, a guy called Julius Megan once, um, you know, um, sang in South Africa. And I, um, I sat in his um, meeting at the time and I thought, you know, this guy is just singing over and over the same songs. And, you know, it's um, until I realized that there's something behind this that's really transforming. There's a place that, that um, you can't put your finger on it because it's not the word, it's not words, it's not the lyrics, it's not the, you know, the way in which he present even the worship when he go and sit in front of a church because he would go and sit on the chair and he will just for the next hour, hour and a half, two hours, just sit and continue with worship the whole time. And I at first thought, you know, how would I even be able to sit through two hours of the same songs being repeated over and over again until I realized that this guy had the ability to transform lives because he has met with Jesus. And so it's so easy to look at worship leaders even all around the world and you can pinpoint are they professional musicians or are they actually portraying Christ within them. And I can tell you, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to this great commission, it's a place where you and I must first hear. And this hearing does not just mean that we know scriptures and that we've read them before. It's a place where Jesus becomes real through them to us. And this is the last you know, a time that Jesus is spending time with his disciples and he's saying to them, listen... Can I share my heart with you? Because if you don't catch this, you're going to miss me. I love this world so much that I've, the message that I brought to this world, I want you to go and represent that to the world. But people must hear it. There's no ways that I can, you know, allow people to just hear the good news except you taking it to them and making it real um, for them in their lives. And so... The second thing is go, to go and evangelize. Um, and I want to say to you this morning, it's not enough to spend time with Christians alone. In order to go, it means that you and I must get out of the church, we must get out of our Christian communities, and we must go and take the gospel to where people are at. Because in our holy bubble, we, we often forget that this going to the nations means that you and I must be uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Um, and, and, and this word is speaking about while you are going, make disciples. And, you know, I, I once heard this story about this guy that, um, that said um, he, um, he got saved in, in his workplace. And then his boss said, you know what, the amazing thing is that I've been praying for you for years to get to salvation. And he said, uh, what? Are you a Christian? And, um, and then his, his boss said to him, yes, you know, I'm, um, I'm a very dedicated Christian. He said to him, you know, the only problem is that you are the very reason why I will never become a Christian. 
And it, he said it was such a, a difficult thing to understand and to, um, to be uh, honest about because he realized that of all the years that moral values and doing good things to impress people around him did not transform their lives. And so I want to say to you this morning, not even doing the right stuff is going to transform people's lives if we are not willing to share the gospel. And this guy actually said, you know what? If you can live a godly life without Jesus, so can I. And so I realized that, you know, if with all the good things that you have done until now, if I can live the same kind of life, then there's a problem because I no, don't know the one that is inspiring you. And sometimes we think that just by living moral lives of significance and doing the right thing, we are transforming society and it's not enough. There's a place where we need to commit ourselves to go, to commit ourselves to, um, to go to all of the nations and all of the nations meaning beyond our cultural safe space. And I want to challenge with you because if it says all the nations, it means that it's, it's out of the place where you are comfortable and understanding what is known to you. It means that you will have to reach out to people that are not getting along with you easily. It means that you will have to make a commitment to, uh, to go to those who desperately need Christ. And then to baptize, to inspire people to obedience much more than, um, than just getting people under the water. And this baptism actually speaks about the fact that we need to teach people to be obedient. Um, we need to, and, and when we share with people to actually go into the step of obedience in um, getting themselves baptized, we are committing ourselves and those persons to the obedience of Christ and the milestones of Christ where we can't turn back. And so baptism is much more than just the water conversation. When we are busy discipling people, we are actually telling them how to be obedient to Christ. Number four is to teach, to teach them to obey. Nobody grows alone. Growth does not happen through control, but um, through creativity. And uh, I can tell you this morning, we can... Um, can think that control and uh, discipline will allow people to uh, be discipled and transformed, but there's only one thing that will transform people's lives, is to allow them to live and to experience Christ changing their lives. Um, the kingdom is about growth. And whenever we hear um, the kingdom being mentioned, it means that you and I must immediately think growth in people's lives. Walking a road with people so that they can come to their fruition in Christ. So that they can come to um, the promises that God has uh, for their lives. The primary reason for people drifting away from the church is that nobody established them and walk a road with them to, uh, to get closer to Christ. And it's because of you and I being helped, being walked with. And I remember, you know, when I got to... Um, to the place where I really started to live for Christ and um, doing um, 
great exploits for him. I remember those days when my small group at the time, you know, gave me a person that walked with me and was dedicated to see me coming to the full. One of the biggest, you know, challenges with the church today is that people, those same people that say that the church is not walking the road with them, say that they experience people sharing the gospel with them as salesmen rather than people that are committed in relationship with them. I remember those guys in that small group. Um, I was playing rugby at the time um, when I had this discipleship walk with me. And um, two of us in the small group was playing in um, our hostel rugby team. And so the small group would, um, would come to, to the field and they would come and pray for us, standing behind the poles and um, interceding for us and trusting God, you know, that we would play good rugby. And uh, I'm ashamed to say that, you know, the two of us were the two that was, um, you know, put behind the poles because we were disciplined and got yellow cards during the game. <laughs> um, but the amazing thing was they've been committed to us all the way. Um, and I want to tell you that if we don't understand discipleship as something to walk with people, allow them into our lives, and this is not a commitment to just walk for four weeks in a discipleship course with somebody a week for a week just getting together. This is sharing our lives with people, allowing people into our personal space. And I want to challenge you this morning. Because if discipleship is the main thing that the gospel brings to each one of us, where are we at in discipling people around us? When last did you walk a road with somebody that, uh, that wants to come closer to Christ in order to lead them to a place where they can be strong enough and stand? It's because of people in my life that committed themselves to not just commit themselves for four weeks and you know, a discipleship manual and, and say to me, I'll get you next week for a coffee, but, but more than that, to take me on every social that they had for the following months and even years. It's because of those people that, that decided that, listen, they will never let me, you know, be able to fall because they will always keep me busy <laughs> rather than to let me go into places that I was not supposed to go as a student. They gave up their time and their resources in order to commit themselves to say, listen, I know that I've got a lot better things to do with my life than to walk this road with somebody that just gave their heart to Christ. But my life is represented by a life of discipleship. People that made a commitment to say, listen, we'll give up all of our spare time. We'll give up all of our personal space, so that this guy can actually come into our home. And I, I remember those moments where these guys were so committed to me that they were not just praying for me, but they allowed me to rub off on them. Sometimes I was a horrible character. <laughs> and yet, they allowed me to, uh, to experience um, discipleship. And, and, and Paul was such a man... We forget sometimes that it took 
Paul 12 years after his conversion to, uh, to be released to do the work of the ministry. In those 12 years, a guy called Barnabas spent time with him, walked with him, answered the, the most elementary questions about Christianity and about what Christ has done in his life. And it allowed Paul to become the apostle that, um, that he was at the time. You know, there was a guy called John Mark that was committed to the call of Christ, but he made a lot of mistakes at first. So much that Paul actually didn't want to take him on the missionary journeys. And yet, at the end, a guy called Timothy was committed enough to him to walk all the way so that he could become the guy who wrote the gospel, Mark. And so, I can tell you, nobody grows out of relationship. We all need people to walk with us in order to come to a place of, um, of, of growth in our lives. We become stagnant if we are left in isolation to do our own thing. The only way in which we are committed to growth is when people challenge us, like 1 Peter 2 says. Um, uh, living stones, you know, that, um, that gives us sometimes hard times. But it allows us to grow. And so I can ask you as well, you know, do we have the kind of outward focus in discipleship and, and bringing in and going into the nations so that we can actually not allow anyone to feel out when they come to this church? <laughs> you know, do we have the kind of commitment to see people um, beyond their culture feel at home because we are committed to a discipleship walk with them? And it's a challenge to each one of us. It's a challenge to me. But these guys were willing to open their homes. And we become so private these days that we are not even allowing people to spend coffee with them. Um, we'll have to open our homes, our lives, our existence, so that people can learn from us, that they can walk with us, that they can be comfortable enough to, um, to, uh, to, 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 to grow. And if every person multiply, two things. Their salvation and their position, <laughs> meaning their function. You know, the church will be so healthy. First of all, their salvation, a commitment to just share whatever Christ has done in your life with somebody that are just starting to walk the road with Christ. And you might say to me, yeah, no, the pastor is not assigning anyone to me. You know what? The first church was so committed that they were looking for people all the time that they could disciple, that they could walk a road with. You will never have people. The Bible says that, you know, it's not about the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. It's about the laborers that are willing to actually lead people, not just to salvation. And salvation is important to, to, uh, to actually hear the word and to make it part of your life is, is important. But to disciple people is another commitment. Um, and so, salvation and then position, meaning that um, your functionality, if you are the sound man, are you busy raising up the next sound man? <laughs> If you are the missions leader or you're the worship leader, are you busy duplicating yourself within every function you are fulfilling 
within the body of Christ. So how did Jesus do it? The first one is he, um, he said, follow me. And I want to just um, bring perspective to you. This follow me that Jesus um, spoke about was a difficult cause. It was a difficult, and to, to give you perspective, for these men at the time, it meant that they had to give up, give up businesses, give up jobs to follow Christ. And to bring perspective in your life today, I want to tell you, I'm not telling you or asking you to leave your job. <laughs> I'm asking you, is there priority within your life to actually come to the Great Commission, to Matthew 28, 18? And it's the same question that I had toward a guy that once told me, listen, you know, the church is, um, you know, is secondary. We must get people um, saved in our workplace. And, you know, the, the workplace is as much the church as the church exists. You know, I've got church in my uh, workplace. And I said to him, okay, that's fine. Can we just have a conversation about how many people did you lead to Christ? And how many people did you raise up to, uh, to raise other disciples? Because the challenge that you and I have is, yes, we can talk a lot about, you know, our lives and our, you know, busy lives. And we, we do often mention these things. But are we committed to the cause of Christ? And I this morning, but what I can tell you, the only thing that we can take with us into eternity is the obedience of Christ's command. Relationships that will lead to people serving Christ. And so we know the well-known scripture of the seeds being sown. And we spoke about it last week as well. But those seeds, for the first parable, it says that those seeds were sown. And um, for whosoever sow the seed will get 30, 60, and 100 full. So the commitment that we make toward raising up people and transforming their lives and helping them to grow and become disciple makers themselves, the rewards will lie within eternity. Maybe not in this lifetime, but as we go into eternity, we will receive the rewards. So when it gets to the first one of follow him, it means that we must first make a priority shift in our minds. And Jesus actually um, shows this picture about the rich young ruler coming to him and saying to him, listen, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus says to him, sell all your possessions and follow me. The issue here, and I, I want to tell you this morning, because I'm challenging you to the core, when it gets to discipleship, we must make a commitment to say, wherever I'm placed, in my workplace, in my everyday life, in my family life, I must be committed to raise up the next generation. Because that is what Christ is asking of us. And if our eternal rewards lies within this, it means that we must make a commitment to let people count the cost about what that, does that mean. What does it mean to actually follow Christ and give up everything that we have and do whatever He's um, asking us to do? And you know, I, was, I was thinking... Um, the other day, and I was thanking God for the grace of just the commitment, you know, that my wife made. You know, it's such a blessing to, to have a wife that is committed to the cause of Christ. Because I was, I was thinking the other day, you know, how she would, through the years, be committed to every phase 
of our commitment to the gospel of Christ in raising our people. All the priority um, commitments that we made through the years. You know, when we started the church, I can remember those days when I was not there for one of my kids' birth. You know, really. In, I, I was there at the delivery, but then I ran off delivering a sermon or came from delivering a sermon. <laughs> you know, priority shifts. And my wife was fine with it because she was committed to the cause of Christ. You know, it's, I, I, I remember the days where, you know, we would um, do Encounter 3 and, and facilitate that toward other people when we started our first church. And because we were the only ones that knew how to facilitate Encounter 3, we would facilitate 28 people for Encounter 3 um, by ourselves, the two of us. And uh, we will go on until the Saturday night at uh, 12 o'clock to, to serve the last person, to pray into their lives and trust God to do great things in their lives. And then on Sunday morning I would preach again. And she would... You know, be committed to, to stay with me and, 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 and facilitate those things. But it's strange how we sometimes lose perspective about what it costs to serve Christ and what we need to give up. You know, I was um, just thinking, you know, how we were committed to, I think we almost 20 times move houses. We're busy packing up our house now. And I'm not mentioning these things because I want you to think that I'm so great. But I want to tell you, getting a priority shift within disciple making means that you will have to sacrifice. Twenty times we had to move for the sake of the gospel. There was years that my, my wife said, what? Fifteen. Okay, it's fifteen. My wife's got the details. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm... I'm uh, is that, uh, sorry? <laughs> the fact is, I can tell you, there was, week, there was years that went by that for 36 weekends in a row, I was at churches busy ministering away from home. 36 of the 52 weeks of the, of the, of the weekends of the year. It cost me to make a decision to rather follow Christ and to be committed to His cause. And I'm not mentioning these things to you this morning to let you feel guilty. What I'm just saying is sometimes we need a perspective change when we say revival, please come because we want to see people being discipled and transformed and salvation must come to this house. And hey, salvation cost you. It means that you must give up everything and say, let me just make a few priority shifts. My kids had to, you know, just run around while we were teaching all of our lives, you know, raising up disciples and doing great exploits for God. But you know what? They didn't dictate our agenda. Our agenda in Christ became an agenda for them as well. And they understood it. And it's strange that within these days, you know, we want to... to you know, Christ is doing us a, a favor... Um, we are doing Christ a favor rather than to realize that you know when it comes to discipleship you and I will have to count the cost and to get to what Christ has said in follow me means count the cost and give up everything refocus make sure that even your job is secondary <laughs> to my call upon your life 
to what I want you to do in raising up people. You know, it means for my wife, she's committed to only work half a day so that she can get to you guys. <laughs> but it's a priority shift. And I'm saying that this morning because I want you to, to know that, you know, even the board of this church is coming together on, you know, at six o'clock in the mornings to, disciple, to be disciple because they themselves said last year in November, you know, we need to disciple. We need to start to disciple. But we can't disciple if we're not disciple. So let's start in making the commitment ourselves to get together every week at six o'clock so that we can be um, discipled ourselves. But that's the cost of discipleship. That, that's what we are talking about this morning when we talk about the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It's an amazing prospect. and it's, But it needs a perspective change. It, means a f it needs a focus so that you, like the rich young ruler, have to, uh, to count the cost in what it's going to, to, uh, to mean when Christ starts to, uh, to transform people's lives. The blessing is not just the reward, but the partnership. The fact that, you know, when, when everything and every priority in your life becomes Christ's priority, you know, you find your contentment um, within the things that's important to him. The second thing that Christ came to do is he spent time with his disciples. For three years, he spent all of his time in their lives, and it means that you will have to give up time if you want to disciple. Are you with me? It means that you will have to actually um, make the commitment to care for people and show care to them, not just salespeople, you know, bringing scriptures and asking them to... Uh, to go and uh, even meditate on those scriptures, it means that you must actually make a commitment to spend time with them and, and to, to encourage them, to grow them, to, to get excited about the things that God is doing in their lives. It means that sometimes you're going to get a WhatsApp in the middle of the night and you will have to uh, stop everything that you're doing so that you can focus on them. Time. Jesus spent time with them. Thirdly, Jesus taught them Formally and informally. There was times when he shared uh, sermons with them on the mountains. And he uh, shared a lot of sermons uh, formally in, in, in their lives. A lot of things that they actually went to write down and made the Gospels out of it. But there was informal moments. When Jesus washed their feet. Where Jesus, you know, walked with them and had nice conversations around the campfire. And uh, where he spoke into their lives not formally, but because of things that were happening at the moment. Things that transformed their lives and that were very personal to them. For Peter, it meant even some rebukes <laughs> at times. And when we commit ourselves to a road of discipleship, I can tell you this morning, it is going to take time of you to actually teach people in such a way that they can hear your heart and your... Um, your love toward them. Because you can't teach anyone if you don't have a platform in their lives. And that platform only gets established through relationship. You can teach all you want, but if you don't have a relationship with a person, you don't have a platform in his life to speak into his life. And so discipleship means um, teaching people. Then it, uh, The fourth thing is he showed them how to do it. And... Um, you know, I was so fortunate. I, I remember starting out in um, the ministry and, uh, you know, 
I was actually so um, ignorant, but, um, you know, I had um, a guy in my life that, um, that was so committed to, uh, to my growth. You know, first he would teach the foundations or the encounters at the time, and he would say, okay, but next time Hercules will, um, will teach the encounter. And then I would start to make notes because I realized, okay, you know, I don't know anything about these scriptures, you know. And through doing so, he deep-ended me, but he allowed me to grow. I remember him taking me on a, um, a scouting trip to Lesotho. And I must have known because when we got back from the scouting trip, um, uh, um, you know, spending time with the people in Lesotho, he... Um, he said to me afterwards, okay, so within three, time, uh, three months from now, you will take a youth team to, uh, to do a crusade here in Lesotho. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I've never done a thing like this in my life. You know, I can do youth now. I've, I've seen this, but doing a mission trip, this is my first mission trip. <laughs> now you expect me to not just organize a mission trip there in the midst of the mountains, you know, far away from everyone where you don't have any resources. I must now not just make a cultural jump, I must also trust God for the miraculous to happen because how do you get crouched toward... And all that he said to me is, listen, I can teach you, but you will have to go and duplicate. And I'm so grateful for that because, you know what, those were one of the most amazing mission trips that I ever had with the youth a bunch of youth that was just crazy. We didn't know what to do, but we saw the most amazing things happening from witch doctors that couldn't cross, you know, of um, the places that we prayed for and, you know, threw um, oil on, on um, the parameters of the soccer field or the football field that we um, played on to, uh, you know... Um, of thousands of people coming through the villages in joining us for, you know, crusades. And I remember, you know, those days that, that the grace of God was upon our lives. And I want to say to you this morning, you will have to not just teach them. You, you, you can't just tell them about the goodness of God. You will have to show them. You will have to... Um, allow them to, uh, to see how it's operating in your life. And so, um, fifthly, he encouraged them to do the same. Uh, he let them minister and he supported them. And that was the pattern that Jesus always used in his um, discipleship journey. He just repeated again, follow me, spend time with his disciples. He taught them. He showed them how to do it and he encouraged them to do the same. And this is the pattern that is left for us. It's not a pattern of, you know, uh, these days we think if we've got a tick box of spending time with people for a few weeks and begin to... That's not what discipleship means. Discipleship means that we understand the gospel of the kingdom. For people to die to themselves and to start to live a life of commitment and, and refocus on Christ and His agenda. Because the gospel of the kingdom means that everyone that allows Christ to become part of their lives will make a commitment to die to themselves and their own agenda and start to live for Christ alone. And that's a challenge to us. So next time that we, we, we ask to, 
get Matthew 28 um, being part of our lives, just remember what it's going to cost you. But I want to end off this morning in saying to you, there was a promise. And this is the beautiful part of um, the gospel for me. Matthew 28, verse 20. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And um, for me, this is such a beautiful scripture to remind ourselves of. Because this says that he will never, there will never be a moment in our lives that Christ will not walk this road with us. In our circumstances, he will always be there. Uh, whenever we go on missions, whenever we go out into the streets, whenever we go into our workplace and trusting him for salvation, those moments where you feel so afraid to just say to the person next to you, you know, that Christ is actually the one that makes the difference in your life. Those moments that Christ promised that he will be with you and that he will walk with you and he will um, allow you to, uh, to transform their lives because of the authority that he has received and is giving to you. His troops to war without the best equipment within his means to win the battle. Um, if you believe Jesus to be true and is with us, it would be impossible um, if you don't believe, sorry, Jesus to be true and with us, it would be impossible to disciple others. And this is a place of belief that you need to put trust in him. Listen to Matthew 28 verse 17. So we've read 18 to 20 and we've read verse 16, but it is um, quite um, evident to me if you read um, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I, I want to say to you, this is actually for me a classic. Jesus has now not just revealed himself twice, three times, four times, five times to, uh, to the people after his resurrection. He's done it quite a lot of times. And yet, within this group of disciples of Jesus, there was still a few that doubted. So as I'm saying that to you this morning and I'm challenging you with the Great Commission, I can tell you that there were some disciples that saw Jesus and still doubted. There were some disciples that in the midst of verse 16, when it says that the eleven came to Christ and to a, a designated place that he um, um, asked them to come, there were some that still doubted in his existence. And so I want to tell you, it's... If, if I'm hard on you, I can tell you this morning, the challenge was for the disciples the same. Some of them found it very difficult to still, after seeing him, trusting that he will deliver the goods and that after his existence on earth, there will still be the kind of momentum that was necessary to change the world. And so Mark 16, verse 14, um, classic, after he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining um, at the table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. This is astonishing. These were people that saw Jesus and still Jesus had to rebuke them and say to them, listen, focus. <laughs> so if I'm saying to you this morning, you know, we must focus and we must 
trust Him to, uh, to make us disciples that disciple others, it's not an easy task that I'm asking of you. But yet, He says, I will be with you always. And I will give you the authority to rule. Um, don't lose heart. Because in, in verse 14 it says, After he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. And sometimes we fail to trust Christ in everything we do. Sometimes we fail in trusting Him and believing that He is the only source of life for us. Sometimes our hearts are so hardened because we're offended even, because we feel that He didn't come through for us. And Jesus rebuked His disciples and said to them, sort out those hearts. <laughs> Make sure that you have an expectation and a belief that I can do it. Because if not, you're not going to be able to duplicate yourselves. You're not going to be able to become the disciples um, that I've called you to be. And so Psalm 2 verse 8 is for me a classic. I, I, it's just one of the most beautiful um, scriptures. Um, maybe before I read it, I just want to say um, scholars still you know, are... Um, in dire straits about who wrote Psalm 2. Uh, some say it was David, and um, I actually want to believe that because Acts 4 verse 24 to 26 attributes it actually to David. Uh, but some um, of the rabbis, you know, uh, make it clear that it's, it's actually representing Christ and, um, or not Christ, the uh, Messiah that would come and, and the last days will fight the battle. But the bottom line of, of this scripture, Psalm 2 verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Ask. The bottom line is, doesn't matter if it's David or Christ being um, represented here, but what I can tell you, here's um, a very direct line with God. And God says, listen, just ask me. And I want to give you inheritance. But that inheritance might not be what you think as an inheritance of leaving money for your children or you know a great estate or whatever. The inheritance that I'm talking about is the nations. The fact that I have people that I want to give in your hand that you can bring closer to an understanding of my dominion in their lives. And so, yes, we as Christians want to do great exploits for God. And, you know, it's strange how these days we, you know, we give um, expression of our faith, you know, doing all kinds of nice posts and, you know, uh, PowerPoint slides and whatever, you know, um, posting pictures of the gospel. But I can tell you the challenge that we have is fighting for the, not just our inheritance, but the inheritance of Christ. When he came to his disciples and said, listen, hear my heart. The legacy that we want to leave on this earth is that every man will be confronted with the gospel 
of dying to self and allowing God to become their saviour, to redirect their lives to a place where they can follow Christ and Christ alone and become like Christ. And we find our expression not in you know, all the sentimental things that we so easily do as Christians, but only in the commitment to say that we are transforming lives around us. Because that is the commitment that Christ came to the world for. He gave up everything so that God could be glorified and people could be reconciled to God. And my challenge to you is just how much of that legacy lives within you? How much of that legacy is a priority in your life so that you can see people's lives being transformed? And it's a challenge. It's a challenge to me every day of my life. I every day ask God, God, where does my priority and my life and all of my boundaries and all of my, and I'm all for boundaries, but I can tell you there's a shift that must happen in our hearts to think beyond ourselves and our sacrificial lives and come to a place of understanding that Christ is committed to people. And Matthew 28 brings us back to the understanding that if we don't get onto his page, where the kingdom becomes a priority in our lives, we will always direct our goals and life focus toward the wrong things and get distracted. All that I want to ask you this morning, let's stand quickly, is a realigning to, um, to the commitment to say, Christ, we want to do what you came to do on earth. I think we serve Christ for a lot of different, there's a lot of different motivations about why we serve Christ. Maybe it's just to fellowship with other people that believe the same it becomes just a cultural commitment. Just so that I can be part. And that's fine. To begin with. The only problem is you can't be part of a social club for Christ for the rest of your life and think that's going to take you into eternity. You'll have to do what Christ is going to do. There's a, there's a commitment for you, and, and, and when I'm saying that to you this morning, I'm saying that to myself, because I'm asking myself every day, Christ, do I duplicate whatever you've given me in other people's lives? Without any excuses. <laughs> but the challenge lies within a commitment to prioritize our lives according to Christ's priorities. Father, we come to you this morning with an understanding that your gospel is challenging. That Matthew 28 brings us to a place of rest, actually. That it's not a place where you fight with us or even um, want to make life difficult for us. You want to bring us back to our purpose. You, bring, uh, you want to bring us back to the place where we can find contentment in life. Where we start to get excited about the right priorities. When we see people start to flourishing, to flourish in your kingdom. When we see people start to commit themselves to a, a road, a commitment to be transformed by your image. 
And this morning, Father God, we stand before you. We ask you, Father God, to give us the wisdom to get there. Father, how do we reorganize our lives, refocus our lives, commit our lives to a place where you can start to use us as disciple makers? Father, we know that your command is very clear. Make disciples. It's not just going to happen. But Christ, we ask you to give us the, just the clear understanding of what that means within our, our lives at this moment. And Father, we thank you that you are not leaving us and you're not forsaking us. You are going to walk this road with us. We open our eyes and our ears and our understanding this morning to say, Christ, use us effectively going forward. We ask you that in our workplace, in our communities, that you will give us the right tools, even in our hands, to reach people and transform their lives. Because Christ, that is your commitment. And we want to get onto your agenda this morning. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you that we, even if we read, uh, when we read the word, we... Um, we discover that your disciples also struggled sometimes in doubt. But we ask you, Christ, that you will bring us and transform us this morning to a place where we can believe, where we can trust in you, where we can know that you've got all the provision necessary to fulfill a life of satisfaction in you. And I want to pray, oh God, that... Um, you will uh, put practical hooks on uh, these commitments this morning in our workplace and in our homes into such a uh, point where we can see people's journeys resulting into standing and, um, and, and being able to be called disciples themselves. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to ask you to just turn to the person next to you. And this morning, just let's have an honest conversation about...